This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, we have begun that annual journey that takes us to the 26th and the annual ending of anything Christmas music related. Anyone driving on the 26th, 27th, 28th this past week who wanted to hear a singular Christmas song and you could not hear it? I was among that crowd. Could not find a single station that was willing to play anything related to Christmas because Christmas is, it's over. Which I know I talk about it each year, but isn't that humorous? Like of all the things, they get it completely, I guess it's not funny, uh, they just get it completely wrong. Christmas actually doesn't start until... Actually, Christmas Day. So it doesn't even start till the 25th. So they, <laughs> they get it right one out of 12, which I guess is a pretty good percentage for people uh, maybe not as attuned to the scriptures as we would expect. But one out of 12, uh, they get right. Well, as we look there, uh, we kind of see this progression uh, into God, into this timing, and we want to talk about songs. I'm going to talk about new songs. And as we look to Luke 2 this morning, we do pick up and find our time gathered uh, with Simeon. We also find ourselves gathered with this prophetess, Anna. So we're going to unpack what's happening. Why are they in the temple? What's Jesus doing in the temple? Why is all this set there? So if you have your Bible, open up Luke 2, verse 22 to 24, uh, and we're going to read to set there. A couple things we're going to see along the way. And when the time came for their purification, I want to kind of set that out first. Now, we know there's a couple things that have to happen. We know Jesus has to go to be presented. He's the firstborn. Firstborn has to actually go. The law of Moses asks for this. Now, we know that Mary is ceremonially unclean following the birth of Jesus. She's going to need to go through purification rites. So, again, as you look to this text, you can kind of see different things. So, who's the their purification? Likely, it is actually Mary and... I see a lot... It's likely Mary and Joseph. Jesus isn't unpure. He just needs to be presented to the temple. So who's the other person, and we'll keep it G, who may have had contact with Mary? This is a sermon that needs more discussion of the birds and the bees, I guess. But we'll just leave it at birds and the bees. Joseph is also likely needing to go because he's had contact with her. Remember, you don't even have to have, like, quote, contact to be ceremonially unclean. You just have to be around what? Things that are unclean. Thank you. Man, it is like December 31st in this church this morning. You all are like, whew. it's not even like, like if this was January 1, I'd get it, you know? Like everyone was up late. Like we haven't even had the party yet. And you guys are like, wow. You know, when we reach the end of this, we're all going to be awake, hopefully. So there we are. Time comes for their purification. Likely Mary and Joseph is referred to here as Luke, according to the law of Moses. So they brought him up. Now the him is referring to Jesus. So they're bringing him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, because that's what the law says. You've got to present the newborn, the first to be born. As it is written in the law of Moses, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Uh, and the two, the turtle doves or the pigeons relate to your, uh, in the words of Wake County, socioeconomic status. Uh, so if you have means, you will actually offer a different animal sacrifice than if you have less means. Uh, now we do discover uh, that Mary and Joseph are not uh, of a lot of means, and they end up offering uh, the lesser gift. Now, lesser, I just mean in monetary value. The Lord saw them as equal. It was just a, a percentage of what you had. It was not meant to 
end a person's ability to feed themselves. It was just meant to say proportionally, you need to give back to the Lord as he has given you uh, a son. Because children actually are, uh, they're gifts. They really are. Uh, and the crazy thing about them is they grow up fast. Like, you, you're like, man, this is killing me. I never get to sleep and do this. The next thing you know, they're what? They have their own kids. And the next thing you know, they have grandkids. And some of you are looking at me going, yeah, how did I end up being the person in my house that everyone's like, you are the matriarch of the family. You are now the patriarch of the family. You're like, no, I'm just a little kid who wanted to run and scamper around the Christmas tree. But how quickly time does its dance for us. So it's in these ceremonies, these purification ceremonies, that we meet Simeon. Uh, We meet Simeon in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit's upon him. Now, this is a pretty great introduction. If you're looking for the way to be introduced in the Bible, this is not a bad way. You're declared righteous. You're waiting. uh, God's spoken to you. And the Holy Spirit's upon you. So the Lord's working in Simeon and has also given him a promise as to what's happening. Now, the unique thing here is when you hear of Simeon, and we look at him uh, many times over the years we've spent together, what do you think about Simeon's age? Just what's in your mind? Yeah, older. And it's just there, and largely because of one passage we hear about Simeon, that Simeon says he's ready to, he's ready to die. So most people are like, all right, you know, ready to die. So obviously, you know, he's not 15, getting ready to, you know, drive his first mule or whatever age that would have been. And he's not excited about those things. No, in, instead, the scriptures are silent. Simeon actually could be 24. Simeon could be 18. What it tells us is Simeon understood that God was going to give Messiah. He was going to get to see Messiah. And because he fully understood what that meant, because he is a man, what, who is righteous, devout, and the Spirit's upon him, of which because the Spirit's there, he understands fully the promises of God. Scripture's given us all those things, so he can let the whole of Scripture speak into this, let Scripture interpret Scripture, and that gives us that. Simeon could be this young guy who just gets it, but most of us are somewhat disturbed if a young person's willing to die. You know, you're like, whoa, that's not the way it's supposed to be. If you understand fully what God has given you in the gift of Jesus Christ, you can be 18 and be like, Lord, I'm ready, man. Let's go. It's Paul. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, that's all Simeon said. He's like, man, if he's ready to take me today, I'm ready to go. Now, if you want to keep Simeon in your mind's eye as, you know, 78 years old, I'm okay with that. There's nothing wrong with it. But do not forget, Simeon could be very young because God's promise changes how we look at the world. That's why Simeon's excited. That's why he's at peace. He understands fully what is going to take place. This is what the great promise of God is. So verse 26 to 28, give us a little bit more. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came, this is a great phrase, and he came in the, in the Spirit. So the Spirit actually guides him into the temple at just the right time. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, have any of you been to the, uh, to the temple, been to Israel, or actually been inside uh, an active temple in different places? Uh, are they busy places or not busy places? And all God's people said they are busy. So for God to line up Simeon to go in at just the right time when parents are taking in uh, Jesus, this is not a fluke. This is no accident. 
God has ordained and set this moment in time so that Simeon could be there at just the right time. And then for, for parents with young kids, this is always uh, hopefully amusing to you. Um, remember when you held your child for the first time and that person in church came up and said, give me your child. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah so Brian's being kind. He's like, here, take the child. This is fine. Um, normally the reaction of parents is, who do you think that you are to touch my child who is not sick? I do not know where your hands have been. Now, and if, and if you wonder about the Old Testament, if they knew about things, read Old Testament law. They're pretty clear about keeping things what? Clean. And those who've looked at it through medical eyes, most of the Old Testament law actually would have done what to a people living out in the wilderness? It would have kept them alive. A lot of it was actually about hygiene and setting. I know some of it seems archaic in what they did, but it kept people organized and clean, and they also followed God's instruction. So you got Simeon coming up, a guy in the temple, so he's just there and says, give me your child. I mean, this should still strike you. There he is. He just takes the child, and he sits there to see it. And then we hear his words. His words there in verse 29, the Lord, he then says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. And imagine handing your child to someone and you get this message. I know Jesus is unique, but as a parent or a grandparent or, or someone who has a, a niece or a nephew, if you had heard these words spoken by your child, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. See, Simeon's seen the promises of God, and a couple interesting things are set here in this passage. Prepared in the presence of all people. Same thing that we're looking back to earlier in Luke 2 that we looked at on Christmas Eve. This message is for all people. And to some people, uh, you'll maybe feel this push of what's happening that next? A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Whoa, 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 Gentiles? Who brought in the Gentiles? We thought Jesus was in the house of David. Now, I know Luke had already told us all people, but now we're naming them, right? Now we're saying Gentiles. So this seems, or you could at one point, hear this passage and think God's doing a what? Diverging off the path and moving now towards the Gentiles. But that's not where it gets left, is it? The passage continues and says, A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This isn't a turning away from Israel. See, some people look at it and say, oh, so this is now for the Gentiles. What was Israel's whole propositional statement when they are founded? God gives them a propositional statement. They are to be what? Think to Abraham and Abraham's promise. They are to be a, a blessing. This is Genesis 12, Genesis 15 stuff, as we get the, the, the covenant and it being laid out. I will bless you so that you might bless all nations. You'll be the father of many nations. Your kingdom will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Any of you try to actually count them when you're away from a city? Good luck. You're not going to get there. But when you start realizing that all people the, of salvation, the message is for all, you start to get it. So this isn't a turning away from Israel. In fact, going to the Gentiles is to the glory of Israel. Because going to the Gentiles is actually doing now what Israel was designed to do to begin with. Which Israel's whole statement was, was they were supposed to share Messiah's coming. That is Simeon's place. Simeon's place is sitting right on the precipice of, I'm told I'm not going to die till I see the Lord's Christ. He sees it. And then in seeing the Christ, the next thing he says is, now the message is going 
out. It's going. Now, Old Testament's filled with lots of foreigners actually being drawn into the family. This isn't specifically a new thing, but now in dynamic ways, it's moving. So this isn't a move from Israel. If you think it's from Israel, you forgot what Israel's whole task was. Israel's task is to speak of Messiah. So when Messiah is being spoken of to other people, guess who looks good? And all God's people said, Israel does. They do, because that's what they were intended to do. Whether or not they understand that, that's a whole other thing. But it's actually good news. So don't see God as, oh, he's, he's diverting off his plan. He's never diverting. This was always the plan. Israel carried it as far as they could until they needed God's help. Most of us have this in our lives as well, right? We carry it as far as we can until we say, God, I actually did need you six years ago. God, I did need you 35 years ago. Lord, I've needed you every day of my life, and it's why I cry out every morning, at noon, and at night. Lord, this is my pattern. This is my setting. Now, there's another person who also is set there, and this is Anna. Uh, and before we look at Anna just a little bit, I, I want to kind of see uh, how the passage unfolds for us as we get to her. Because as we see her, she's kind of bridging another piece for us. And his father and mother are marvelous. So we've got Simeon, who's just said, it's not a diversion. This is actually Israel's glory that all the Gentiles hear. Mother and father are marveled at what was said about it, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is a tough message for Mary to hear. Because what she just hears is Jesus is going to cause consternation, struggle, and strife. But what's also interesting is it's very clear, Jesus will let you know where people stand. You cannot be Jesus neutral. There is no such thing as Jesus neutrality. He's a good guy. He's not a good guy. Th that's not a position you can take. Either you take Jesus to be who he says he is or he isn't. This is what you're getting here in Luke 2.35. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Who do you say that I am? This is what Jesus asked the disciples. <laughs> you, you can't take one. And what are the disciples' first response? It's kind of a non-response, isn't it? Well, some say... Elijah, some say John the Baptist. I mean, you'd think they're living in 2017. Don't worry, it'll soon be 2018, and then we'll do the same thing. It's just these cop-out answers. Um, so do you agree with what your mother has just said? Well, on a certain occasion, I agree with mom. But on some occasions, dad, I agree with you. What kind of answer is that? Jesus does not allow you to be neutral. You will make a decision about Jesus when you are directly asked or your response will be so evidently clear that you are what? Without a decision. And indecision means no decision. You don't understand Jesus. There just is no neutral point for people to sit there and to see it. This is part of the revelatory work of Jesus. And by revelatory, I mean revealing of himself. This is like epiphanies, like Eve, 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 Eve of Epiphany. I know we're kind of stepping back. I mean, epiphanies, you know, kicking in for us we're going to hear that he's the christ but this is already the work of man you're going to see this thing because jesus is going to reveal himself by what you think of him uh, and where this work is how does simeon know because he goes to the temple in the spirit who reveals these things to us the spirit paul tells us this in first corinthians 12 3 no one can say jesus is lord except by the spirit this is what we know the spirit works on us and moves us forward because our view of the world as Christians changes how I look at everything. 
I actually have a biblical worldview. I view everything through the Bible. To some people, I'm a lunatic. To other people, I'm a Christian who's following what God has laid out in the Scripture and expects that for me. See, I see things differently. When people look at the world differently than Mike Merker, it it might might be safe to assume maybe they don't come from the same worldview that I have. Because the Scriptures change where I look at stuff. I live in a Christocentric world, as all of you do. Christ is the center of all that I have. Everything else is shaped by Christ. So when I look at something, I mean, it may not, you know, form whether or not I eat a certain type of popcorn. Don't worry, you got freedom of the will there. But in everything else, Christ really does define a lot of what I do uh, and how I set and how I think. It defines when I'm right and when I'm wrong. So now I've got Anna. This is the second person I said we get to. Anna sat there, and we're going to see something unique. There's a prophetess, Anna. Now, she's from a certain tribe. She's from the tribe of Asher. So listen to the text. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, the tribe of Asher. Now, what's interesting about Asher? Anyone recall Asher? Yeah, this is a northern tribe, which is kind of interesting because the ten northern tribes were actually supposedly all lost. These are the lost tribes. When you actually have the northern kingdom actually collapse, when this sets Samaria falls in 721, 722, they're all gone. So someone's still set there in Asher because someone's still tracking genealogy enough that we've got her here. So this tells you there's someone still around, but we haven't heard from them. So this, uh, on a certain level, you should have you going, whoa, what is this? Where did Asher come from? And not only where did Asher come from, Asher is still trusting in the promise of Messiah. This is what we get uh, as we hear the text unfold. So Anna, the daughter of Phineal, the tribe of Asher, she's advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, from when she was a virgin and then a widow until she's 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The redemption to those waiting for Jerusalem's redemption will come in the hands of who? The Messiah. So this is tribe of Asher, aware redemption's coming, and she's going, this is the guy. This is it all coming together. This is the culmination. So now we've got new songs. These are the new songs that are set there. Now, only seven women are recognized in the Jewish Talmud, which is the the central text to rabbinic Judaism. Only seven women are recognized in the Talmud as being set there. So to have Anna as a prophetess, I'm sharing this with you, you realize how rare this is. So to have a woman being recognized, come only seven. So she's one. So when... This is kind of one of those things, when you see one of these moments, you should go, wow, it's a big thing. Something powerful is happening here. Now, she's also, again, from Asher. She's set there, and her name itself actually means grace. A name that means grace. So you've got this prophetess set there whose name means grace from a tribe that everyone thought was lost, who still understands Messiah is coming, who's singing. And she's singing just as Simeon is that this redemption song is coming forward. Now, for some of you, you've looked at 2017, and you've said, man, as this year's drawn to a close, it's December 31st, you're starting to do your evaluation of it, and you say, it's a good year. This is a good year. Thanks. It's a great year. Others of you are like, 2017, man, worst thing ever. I just, you know, whoo, let's go 2018, bring it on. Well, whatever side you have in that depiction, it may not be quite the right song to sing, because I have news for you. If you thought 2017 was bad or you thought it was the best, there's other news. 
See, our lives aren't defined by calendars. This is the unique part of gathering in church on the 31st is we have a chance to look at this and realize our lives are defined differently. See, if you thought 2017 was out of control, guess what? You forgot who was in control. And if you thought 2017 was the best year ever, then you've had your hopes in the wrong thing because 2017 isn't the culmination of all things. Although I will grant the Lord's still got about 14 hours if the Christ wants to return. See, we just have to realize we have a different setting of how we define things. Simeon, young or old, understood Christ was in control. Anna, from a lost tribe or one that's just been refound, understood God was in control. See, our new song, as we look to a new year, is realizing Christ is at the center of everything we have. So if you felt like life was off the rockers in 2017, you may be looking at one singular track that seems to have gotten out of touch, but God has never let go of his people. He never does. There are times at which God allows us as his people to what? <laughs> go about our own devices. And he sometimes will give us a little bit more leash, as people who have pets will say, right? Well, I'll just give them a little bit more leash and see what they do. But he's always what? He's always holding on to us. He's always drawing us back. He's always calling us to himself. And he did this even as we heard in our second reading in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, Paul writes. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of women, born under the law. See, everything that Jesus did happens according to the law. The whole reason the purification rites of Matthew, of Luke 2, 22 to 40 are happening is because God follows every single thing prescribed of him. Jesus does not miss a singular beat. The law asks him to do things, and he does it. Where most of us, when Jesus says things in his law, we say, well, you know, there's a little leeway on that, right? I mean, when he said do not steal, he just meant don't steal from people uh, who are less fortunate than you. But if someone's really rich, you can take a couple things from them. And you're all laughing with me, but I guarantee you, at some point in your life, you have done something like that. It could be small, it could be large, but you've said, but they won't really miss it. They won't notice. Adultery just means sex, right? Until Jesus preaches a sermon on the mount, and then all God's people were like, ah, got it. I was just having a bad thought. Everybody's like, well, we don't, we don't like reading that passage. See, God gets at all of us. And then right at the moment he gets us, he says, but I've given you something greater. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born under the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. I have two cousins who were adopted into the family. And the day they celebrate, they know their birthdays, but the day that excites them, it's their, their adoption day. Because that's when they knew. That's when they knew that they had a family that would be with them through thick and through thin. See, we all were born in different places through different parents. But we all share one singular unifying event, the day that God adopted us as his sons, as he did that through the waters of baptism and called us home. This is why as a church we get excited by what God does because he unites us as one. The world will try in 2018 to divide us, I guarantee you. I don't know what it will be, but at some level in 2018, the world will try to divide us as a people. I could even go so far as to tell you it will try to divide Jordan Lutheran Church. Why? Because this is what Satan does. He works against his people to rip us apart. But God says, you're my son. And if a family remembers they're actually family, they can get through a lot of stuff, right? It's when family forgets they're 
actually family that we get into problems. Anyone ever upset at a family member? <laughs> What's great is like either someone looked at their family and realized one family raised their hand so it was okay, or you looked and realized, okay, the family did not raise the hand, so collectively we will keep our hands down. Like this has been the decision, no hand up, so no hands going up. <laughs> a couple of you are laughing because you're like, that is what I did, yes. I looked to see the leader of the family make the decision, the decision was made, and we remained silent. But the neat part even in that is what? You understood that you're a family, and you either rise together or you fall together. This is God's church. God's given us great power. He's given us great power by his spirit. May we, just as Simeon, move in the coming year as Simeon did, in the spirit, into the temple, to praise God with a new song. Amen. Lord, thank you for the ways that you have put on us the joy of life. Lord, may me, as this year comes to a close, remember, if we thought it was out of control, we forgot you were in control. Lord, if we thought this was the best year, we lost sight of how good it's going to get. Lord, we live in you, we have our hope in you, and we look forward to the full restoration you have promised us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.